Good morning. I am Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor here. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. We start a new series uh, today called Come to the Table, and it's something I'm really excited about. Uh, this is something that's been kind of percolating with me for the last couple years, and, and as we enter into this Lent season from this last Wednesday and going through Easter, um, I, just, I believe this was just a great time to, to introduce kind of the series and introduce kind of what what God is saying to us and is going to have for us in, in, in this time of, of, uh, of Lent. And, and, uh, and it's interesting because, you know, the Lent, Lent was uh, developed by the church a long time ago. Um, uh, but this practice of communion has been around since the very beginning. Um, it actually goes in uh, its roots far before that. And so I, I thought that this was a, um, a good time to, like, move forward into this. And, and really experience um, what God may have for us uh, over these next several weeks. Um, so I want to invite you to dive in these next several weeks because, you know, everything's going to build upon each other. And um, I want us to rediscover the power and the passion of communion and, uh, and the impact it has on our daily lives. This is more than just a practice uh, or a ritual. This is something that actually has the power to have an impact on our everyday life. So at the vineyard, both at our Baton Rouge Vineyard and at vineyards around the world, we have this value. We have five core values. One of those values is experiencing God. And um, it's a value of ours because walking with Christ is more than gaining knowledge. Now, knowledge is important, right? Proverbs says that in all you're getting, get knowledge. But knowledge without experience has limited bandwidth. And so we have to have a real-life experience to actually see that knowledge go into action, and make changes. And so when I say the word experience, that's going to mean something different to different people. And we have to actually be okay with that because it's really important to not project our experiences and our ideas of what that experience is onto others who may have a different definition and understanding of what that experience is. Y'all with me so far? And so in all of that, it's going to be important to walk together to find a new depth in something that is much bigger than ourselves. And that's what communion is. It's something for us and with us, but also bigger than us and bigger than, than the church. And so let's look at James 4.8. It says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's what I want to do these next few weeks. Come near to God and see him in a real way come closer to us. So with that said, most people in our stream of church, and so when I say our stream of church, I'm talking kind of the more non-denominational churches, evangelical, Pentecostal, those kind of churches, which we love. I love the whole church. Every, every stream is important and has its value and its place. Um, but, in, but in our stream of church, what, what, what you'll see is that it, the experience of God occurs most consistently in musical worship, okay? Now, that's, that's definitely been my experience growing up and, and, and over, the, over the years. Uh, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. that. That is a valid and important form of experiencing God. My challenge to you, though, is something that I've been challenged with. What if we've narrowed our experience with God to a few preset definitions, what if we said that, you know, experience of God means A, B, C, and D, and that's it? 
See, because this is what happens in, in culture, and whether it's church culture or anything else, we, we kind of, we, we tend to form kind of an understanding of something and say, this is how it works. This is how it is. But my challenge is maybe experiencing God goes far deeper than we've been exposed to. What if a regular experience of God can happen in more ways? And what if the fulfillment of life that we're looking for in this life can actually occur beyond our presets, beyond our predefined understandings of what it means to experience God? And so that's what this series is about. It's how we can open up ourselves to a life with God that goes beyond what we've initially experienced. And so this isn't about ritual. This isn't about um, a practice for the sake of practice and ritual, even though we're going to be going over those things. It's about a real-life encounter with, with Christ. All right, so let's look at our, our scripture for today. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So as I said, communion has been a practice, a Christian practice since the beginning of Christianity. It was done at the Last Supper, and that's where it started. So the Last Supper was actually the Jewish Passover celebration uh, that Jesus and the disciples were celebrating, but it was the last time they were together and the last dinner they had before Jesus was crucified and uh, before he was sacrificed. And so it's really important to, to understand that because we're going to go over some terminology, and they're actually referring to the same thing, but we may have heard them, heard them at different times, not realizing that they're actually all referring to the same thing. And so one of those things is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the same thing as communion. It's the same thing as the Eucharist. And so these are all different terms that have come up over the years, and so we're all talking about the same practice right now. And so this practice was instituted by Christ to succeed the Jewish celebration of Passover, okay? So communion is actually something that goes back to an original biblical practice. And so we're going to dive into more about the Passover a little bit later. What's important here is that this idea of bread and wine goes beyond communion, and it goes beyond the Passover. It actually exists throughout the entire narrative of the Bible, this idea of bread and wine. This is important because it helps us understand God's purposes for us and how we meet God in it. The Lord's Supper teaches us God's love and the value of community. The shared act of receiving communion together begins to change us on the inside. It actually begins to transform our character as we take this bread and cup. And as we do it together, we get to live out the redemptive nature of Jesus experiencing redemption in our own lives and being a part of seeing redemption in the lives of others. And so I want us to move toward experiencing God's love and presence deeply in communion to go beyond the practice. In order to do that, though, we have to be able to engage in three ways. One of the greatest commands is to love your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. Right? You've heard that here 5,000 times, Right? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. And as we go through this, I want us to get understanding, but I also want us to apply that knowledge, the strength part. And as we apply the understanding that we have received, 
then we'll be able to have that experience that Christ has given us an opportunity to experience, the actual presence of him in our lives in a very real way. And so throughout today and the rest of this series, I'm going to take us through all three ways at various times and in various ways. And my ask of you is that as you go home in your small groups and throughout your week that you will do the same, engage with your mind, your soul, and your strength to see God. So we cannot understand communion at all or have a transcendent experience through it if we miss this first part that I'm getting ready to talk about. Everything that comes after this week is distorted or incomplete if we don't grasp this. And it is this. We cannot understand communion without understanding and embracing the love of God for us. There is nothing after that that works or makes sense without first understanding this thing, this deep love and embrace of God for us. If we don't have that, everything else is distorted. If we don't have that, nothing else in Scripture matters. It is the most important thing. And it's the most important to not just know it, but to have it deep within us. Could it be possible? So what does that psalm say? psalm says, taste and see. So my question is, could it be possible that through this act of communion, we can, become, we can come to know God's goodness? That through this taste and see, that through this bread and this cup, that we can actually know and like know intimately God's goodness. The love of God is understood through his character, demonstrated through his action throughout Scripture and can be experienced as we taste and see. The character of God is revealed in Jesus. He is the closest we can get to understanding the depth of God's love. We see God's love demonstrated both before and through Christ and at different times, and yet it's all connected. You know, throughout Israel's history, we can see in Scripture God freed them over and over and over and over again. Like all throughout the Hebrew Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, I see just a, a narrative of God freeing his people, breaking off the chains off their neck, feet, and hands to bring them to a place of safety and wholeness. And as you read these stories in depth, as you read the stories of God freeing Israel, every time it's because he loves them. This is why he does it. He frees his people every time because he loves them. And as we read the Psalms, we see a reflection of the author as they continually experience the love of God. And as Jesus proved, God didn't just love his people, but the entire world. And he wanted to demonstrate that love through the freeing of people, of, of everyone. So look at Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to pro- proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. So Jesus said this. This was actually a reading in the synagogue of the book of Isaiah. When Isaiah said this hundreds of years prior, it was a prophecy. And so it was what the people were waiting for. It's what Israel was expecting. And Jesus was declaring this about himself, showing what he was, what he was here to do, to continue the work that God had been doing that whole time, to continue the work of freeing people because of his great love. And now for the entire world. 
That is what Jesus said, this is why I'm here. So looking back at that psalm, it says, take refuge. And so when we look at the Hebrew here, it says this is defined as a safe place, refuge. It's it's a retreat. It's a space for healing and renewal in God. So my question is, what's what's your refuge? You know, where, where is your safe place right now? Because I want you to think about that. So for some, the safest place, the place of like healing and safety is their home, right? For others, it can be the church. And still, for others, it can be something unexpected. They can find it in their work or another community or that place where you're the safest and most loved. So I want you to think about that refuge that you have. The question is, how do we enter God's refuge? How do we make God a refuge in our lives? That's the journey. I know you were hoping I was going to give you like a one-line answer and just like till we could finally solve this and figure it out, how we just make God and live in that place of refuge, but I don't have one for you. Because that's the journey. And it's the journey we have to continue to take to actually kind of be hidden with God in that safe place, in that refuge. Like I just kind of imagine him just like, in this, in this place where he just kind of has us wrapped up all around. You know how, like, you got, like, just the small, like, you know, you got a baby or, like, a toddler. You, just, you can just wrap them up, and they're just the most safe and the most protected and the most secure. That's what I imagine to be the refuge in God. And that's the place that I want to continue to go, that I want to continue to stay, that I want to continue to go back to. In ancient Judaism, and until this day, they, ha- they celebrate this thing called the Passover. It's one of the major celebrations in Scripture and for the Jewish people. It's a celebration and a remembrance of God freeing them, protecting them. And so during the time of the tabernacle, so the tabernacle came right after uh, they, they were free from, uh, from, from, uh, from the Egyptians. And uh, during this time of the tabernacle, they had uh, the this, this celebration of the Passover. And well, what happened is the, the, the priests would come out and uh, they would take the bread, okay, and they would hold it up and say, Behold, God's love for you. And when I read that, it was just so powerful for me. Like to imagine being in that place as you remember God freeing you from the worst possible thing. And you remember that, and then that says, Behold, God's love for you. Jesus succeeded the Passover celebration with communion. And so now when I take the bread, and I hope when we take the bread, we can say, behold, God's love for me. And we can behold it as we remember the places that he's brought us freedom. And we can behold it again as we journey towards more freedom in our lives. That that remembrance helps us experience the love of God for ourselves. To be loved is to be known. And as we can know God, know, as we can be known by God, we will be able to experience that love. 1 Corinthians 8.3 But whoever loves God is known by God.
Luke 12, 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Like, to know something so intimately that you know the amount of hairs that it has. That is a deep level of intimacy. That is a deep level of knowing. And when we can be known, like, there's something like for since birth, like one of our initial earliest desires is to be known and to be loved. That's all. (laughs) And so as we can be known, we can experience that love. To be fully known, though, that's, that's kind of the key, and that's the pathway to experience love in the midst of brokenness, to be fully known. We have to move to a place in our relationships with others and with God where we can be fully known. And so what do, when I say fully, what does that mean? Because we like to let ourselves be known, but we like to sh- like let the good be known, right? When I say fully known, we got to let out the good, the bad, and the ugly, like, it's not just the good, it's not just the ugly, it's all of it. We, we have to let all of that be known. And when we can go there, when you can see all my worst stuff and still love me, then that love really takes effect, right? That's when I know that I'm really loved, when you actually see all sides of me. You know, I used to say that I didn't trust people easily. That's like what I would tell people, like, like, you were so like, yeah, I don't really trust people easily. And so I kind of like created a distance. And that's what I actually like believed about myself. The reality was I didn't trust that when people saw all of me, that they would still love me. The reality was I believed that if, if they got to see the bad and the ugly, they would want nothing to do with me. And so I had to begin to actually... Stop that <laughs> and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in a little bit and then a little bit more and then, and then a little bit more. And then once, once you're in there, hopefully you'll stick around. But I found that as I did that more and more, that people stuck around. Like, this is odd. Because <laughs> even with God, I was afraid to unmask all of me, even though it's like logically I knew that he knows everything about me, right? Like I know that logically, but still when I would engage with God, whether in scripture, whether in prayer, whether in whatever it is, I would still mask myself. I still want to show him the good stuff. I want to show him that I was the good son, that I could be everything that he wanted me to be and that I was, I was all these things. I was still masking the bad and the ugly. And I was so afraid to, like, show all of it. Because certainly, if, God, if I show this to God, then he will leave me. He will remove his hand from my life. Now, I could read in the scripture and believe and, and know that that wasn't true. But that's what I believed. And so I, I, I couldn't show him. I didn't actually think God would want to go with me there to the darkest places in my soul. I didn't think that God would want to go with me there to the most shameful places in my mind. And this whole time, he's like pushing me there. And I'm like, what's happening? Why are you pushing me here? This is a dangerous place. We're not supposed to go there. You don't go to the bad place. He's like, just keep going. Keep going. 
And as I unmask, as I remove layer from layer, as I show more of myself to God who already knows, but as I show more, much to my surprise, he was behind that very locked door in the dark, this big ball of light waiting there to hold me. Because that's who he is. And that's what he's waiting for. He already knows the good. He wants to meet us in the bad. He wants to meet us in the hard places. He wants to meet us where we're not willing to take anyone. Because it's there. When we can experience him there, that the love takes root and it takes hold and it breaks everything. And that brokenness is healed. This is why I talk about radical acceptance. Because to be fully who you are and accept it that way, good, bad, and ugly, is the only way. That's the only way to experience the gift of the cross and the freedom of the gospel. You miss out on both the gift and the freedom if we're not fully known. So where do you least want to go to be vulnerable? What experience or wound is too raw to even touch? What do you hide about yourself from everyone? These are the places to go. This is where you set your heart before God. And I encourage you to go to these places as we take bread and wine, because as we see his face in the bread and take refuge there, that's where we find healing, acceptance, and hope. In the bread facing God. You know, there are times when it seems God is this unknowable, untouchable, just far away being. You ever felt like that? I know I felt like that at times. Times when it seems as if we can only know him through what we've heard. You know, like someone says, hey, do you know Marcus? Like, yeah, I've heard of him, but I don't don't really know him. You know, like there's a difference, right? Like you met him a couple times, but you don't really, you don't really know him. And even for those who say they do know him, there are times when we want to know more and, 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 more and, and know deeper, but it seems we kind of hit a wall. And it's just like there's a ceiling, and it seems like this is it. But we can break through that wall. We can close the distance between us and God through Christ and, and communion. In the tabernacle, when they would remember through the Passover... The bread, as, as, as you read in the scripture in the original Hebrew, it's kind of a, an interesting interpretation, but the best way we can understand is that the bread actually represented the face of God. Like they would say that this bread represents the face of God. And in the tabernacle, and maybe sometime in, in the next few weeks, I'm going to like draw a picture so you can kind of see like the intricacies of the tabernacle. As you go in and further inward, there's this place called the Holy of Holies, okay? And in this place, Only the high priest could go there, all right? And so the high priest would go to this Holy of Holies because that is actually where God lived, okay? And so they would take the bread from the Holy of Holies out for the Passover so that people could see the face of God and experience his love. So as Jesus connects that, the Passover and the tabernacle, he connects that to communion. As he does that, he is saying that we can see God's face and we can know him. 
that he doesn't have to be this faraway being that we only celebrate once a year, that we only see once a year, that we can see him all the time. And so what we have to do is seek to know him. Seek out the heart of God. As we are loved and known, we can know Yahweh and love him. And then we have this back and forth. And we seek by asking. Let's look at Luke 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who, are, who ask him? I, wanna, I want you to understand the Holy Spirit in this context. What he's saying here is, how much more if you just ask for the Holy Spirit, who's going to enable that communication with God? How much more if you just ask for the Holy Spirit like your child asks for food, is he going to give you that opportunity to know him and see his face and talk with him and commune with him? We have to ask. We have to seek. And so as we close, I want to I look at this encounter in this, in, this, in this garden. So Mary Magdalene is, is this is after Jesus died and and, 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 and rose again. She's in the garden. And she goes to the tomb because she's looking to take Jesus' body. And she gets there, and she's not there. Obviously, she's understandably just in a very difficult place right now. Her very close, close friend and teacher was just killed in the worst kind of way. So she goes there to the tomb, and the body's gone. Instead, there are two angels there. And this is where we pick up. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. There's a lot (laughs) in this scene right here. And we're actually going to come back to it at the end of the series. But what I want to point out for today is what just happened. Jesus is in a different form. And all he does is call out Mary's name. And Mary knows. She just knows Jesus so well that that is all it took for him to say her name and she could see him. And she just wrapped her arms around him after this. She just runs to him because of that deep love for him and the deep love that she's experienced in that relationship with him.
And so this intimacy, this ability to know God so well that he can just speak your name in the middle of all the noise, in the middle of all the pain, and you can hear it and respond and embrace him. That's the intimacy we're looking for. That's the intimacy that's possible in communion. And that's the intimacy I hope that we can all get to as we journey with Christ. I mean, she got to walk with him for, for a long time, step by step, as, as a disciple of Jesus. And while we don't get to walk in the same way, we still get to walk with him. And I believe he commanded us to do communion for this very reason. All right, let's look at some practical tips. Identify one area of your life you want to be free. This will be the one thing you pursue throughout this series in Easter, okay? So, like, I want us to come up, like, what is the one thing that you're like, I want freedom from this over these next several weeks? Okay, we're going to just focus on one thing. Don't ignore it or shove it away as we like to do myself included. <laughs> this isn't a judgment. Like, that's, it's easy to just put it away. Bring it to the forefront as you engage with God in communion every week. And so that's something we're going to do a little bit different uh, for these next several weeks, um, is that we're going to have an opportunity to engage with God in communion every week. All right, number two. Where do you feel or believe that God's love is conditional. Now, I use those words intentionally, both feel and believe, because we can logically and intellectually believe, know something and believe the exact opposite. It is quite possible to hold two opposing beliefs at the same time. And so I ask this this way for a particular reason, not do you know that God's love is unconditional? No. Where in your heart do you believe that God's love is conditional? And there's going to be a place for everyone. You know, for example, one of my dual opposing beliefs, oh, I know God loves me, but God will actually love me and accept me when I get over this addiction. Oh, then, then I'll, I will be good enough for God right? And so his, his truth that we know intellectually and his truth that we know in our hearts, we want to bring those together. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, just stand and kind of get into this next, this next worship song, but this worship song that we're doing I want to open up the space right now and the elements are still out and we're just going to have communion again. Okay, I know we, we, we took it earlier, but there's nothing wrong with doing it again if you did take it earlier. Um, but also, I want to just take what I hope you are able to understand and apply today and just have an experience with God in communion right now. And, so we, and we have some time. You can take your time. You can take the elements and move to the side as other people are going. You don't have to rush through it. One, two, I'd also encourage you to do it with people if you can. But also, I, I want us to, wherever you are right now, 
You could be a Christian. You could be someone who's searching. If you feel compelled to take communion, you are welcome to. You don't have to have to be in any kind of place. You are welcome to take communion, wherever and whoever you are. And if you don't want to, that's okay. You don't have to. This isn't a forced practice we're doing right now. But I want to open this up and bring this back to a place where we can engage with God and experience the deep, deep love he has for us.